It's been a while, but we're back. I'm Rusty Ryan, joined by Sean Larson. Sling and Quack, back in Hamsterdam. It's been a long off-season. Uh, Hamsterdam's been a little bit dry. It's, but it's the getting new... to the desperate times of summer. We're, we're getting so close to fall camp. Right. The, the, first, the first pickings are coming back from the fields. And, uh, I would uh, I, I would count down the days to, to fall camp, but much like Vernon Adams, I cannot do math. So, <laughs> were just you waiting kidding. on that one? I love the guy. Were you waiting on that one? So long. Actually, it just came to me in like this beautiful <laughs> moment. Okay, because love the guy. Apparently, he's going to be a couple days late. No biggie. Fashionably, um, <laughs> fashionably late, as we'll call it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this podcast is going to be like kind of a current events pre-fall camp thing, kind of like going briefly over uh, Oregon's schedule. Um, but I think the Vernon Adams case is a fantastic way to start. Um, I saw like the tweet like about a month ago that Vernon Adams still hadn't shown up to school. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense because he had to finish like that summer class. Right. But then was it two yesterday or two days ago? I pulled up a story here from the Register Guard from two days ago, July Okay, 24th. so it was two days ago. He had a phone interview with the Register Guard. said, quote, I'm probably going to be a couple of days late, but I expect it to all work out. I'm real excited, just trying to stay focused with this class and get ready to have fun playing football again. Okay. I have a lot of points to make. One... What the hell is this kid doing, like, with this math class right now? It's just becoming, like, this, just this dead weight. I don't, I don't know what the deal was. It says, currently taking a math class through the Community Education Program, which allows anyone to register for regular UO courses without formal admission. He Wait, so it's a UO math class? Apparently it's a U. I always thought it was an Eastern Washington math class yeah. that he didn't finish, but I guess he, maybe he didn't finish it up there, and he's now doing it through this this program. Uh-huh. Is what it sounds like. It says he expects to complete the course by August thirteenth to fulfill the requirements for his Eastern Washington degree. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, yeah like when I was a student, I had like your like you have your high high school AP stuff. Right. I had to take. Uh, like an accounting class online because they couldn't get into a 500 person accounting class at Oregon um, so I had to do one online which was really nice um, but so I can see where he'd take like the UO one in order to right. finish like the Eastern Washington yeah ones but I mean so if he ex- if he completes it by let's say it's done on August 13th and let's just throw another day on there to start up so that's august 14th so that's four days of missing camp i don't know what what kind of magic can jeff Lockie pull off in four days or is or or, i mean the thing that i've thought about the whole time is you know how everyone's saying oh well how quickly is he gonna adjust and you know is four days gonna make that big of a difference in the end of the you know at the end of the day and the way I see it is, you know, I, I don't think the amount of days he's missing is going to make a difference in the scheme of things. I mean, Lockie's been with the program. He knows the system. He knows everything. He's still the underdog. You know, with when you get a guy who comes in for one year and one year only, there's about a 1% chance that that guy, this guy being Vernon Adams, is going to ride the bench all year or half the year uh, you know it, it, it's mm-hmm. really just at this point it's we've we've beaten this story to to the point where we can't beat it down anymore and it's just something to write about until fall camp finally gets here yeah um yeah i sent out a, a pretty sarcastic tweet actually i was half serious half joking um like yesterday where it was uh Rewatching the spring game to find reasons to fall in love with Jeff Lockie now that I know Bernard Adams can't pass a math class. <laughs> and I'm just still blown away. Like, how do you, like, an open 
OU online class. That can't be hard. Like that can't be hard. Like granted, he's, apparently he, any it says anyone can take it without formal admission. So I can just pro- I can. We should all probably give me. We should all give me this class. Back. Give me this class. I will do it in two days. <laughs> give me two days and I will do it. We should do an addicted to quack summer series where all the writers we take this the Vernon Adams math class and see how quickly we can pass it. <laughs> we all take the SATs again. <laughs> that sounds awful. Um. Yeah. So, like, going back to the whole like Lockie v. Adams thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are like clear like strengths and weaknesses for both person that you like that you already emphasized was. We already knew coming in that Lockie would have more experience, and Vernon Adams like has more talent. Um, so it's it's not it's not like the setting a few days back is gonna like that devalues what Vernon Adams brings. Right. And I remember hearing like, oh, well, is Lockie gonna win or is Adams gonna win? And even like in early June, I was talking with uh, another friend who's pretty smart on Oregon football and he was he was saying I don't think this is as clear cut as everyone's making it out to be like I think Lockie has a real good shot to win like the quarterback job mm-hmm. and then I was listening to and of course uh, because I changed my mind a lot on things in June um, someone else was saying that you don't like pull a player from like a place where he is crushing it you don't pull him out of that environment thinking that he's actually going to enter a real QB competition that he might lose. Right. I'm, I've always kind of thought all along that the QB quote unquote competition is really nothing but a formality. I mean, the last, the last time Oregon had a QB competition was, you know, when Mariota came in and that was what, 2012. And that was Mariota versus Bennett. And that was more of a, that was more of a true competition. Um, yeah, because Bennett he, didn't Bennett get drafted. He, yeah, he went to because he what he transferred off to like Southeast Louisiana or somewhere. In yeah, that state. And no, that's right. It was an FCS school, so he didn't lose a year. So he could play right away, right? Uh huh. And I think he did, if I recall correctly, he did pretty well for himself down there. Yeah, so he was drafted by uh, he was an undrafted free agent, and he's with the Indianapolis Colts now. Oh yeah, here we go, Colts twenty fifteen player preview quarterback Brian Bennett. Good for him. Yeah, that Good kid. I remember watching a warm up of him in the national championship game uh, against Auburn, and I remember just marveling at how hard he threw the football. It was really impressive like on out routes he would just like flick it and it would just explode out of his hand like a bullet Best yeah, he's a uh, he's an athletic guy um oh yeah i'm i'm hoping he does well for himself in his career whatever his his calling may be uh-huh there seems but to be yeah, a real that, pattern go ahead that was you know i was just going to go back and say that was i mean that was the last time you know, it's been a few years since Oregon has had a QB competition, and and I agree. I don't. I really think at the end of the day, we can't we can't really call this a competition because I know that I know it's a formality, and I know if you talk to the coaches or any of the guys, they'll say, "Oh, it's a competition. It's anyone's job." But it. I mean, shoot, you put you put me or you in that competition, and they'll say the same exact things. Oh, it's a competition. We'll see. You know. Yeah. Like but I agree. Real cute if, about you're, it. if you're bringing in a guy who was a superstar with Eastern Washington and you know has beaten, you know he they beat Oregon. He can play with the big boys, and he you bring s- him in for one year and one year only. Yeah, yeah. He's there's no way he's riding the bench. Yeah. Um. And not only did he beat Oregon State, he thrashed Oregon State. Yeah. He had 518 yards and six touchdowns against the Beavers. I remember against Washington, he threw for almost 500 yards and seven touchdowns one year, and they lost. 
And we can, you know, and we can say like, oh, it's Oregon State, it's Washington, and you know, they're not great, you know, they're not great FBS programs or whatever. It's still FCS versus FBS. Like, it's still a huge upset. Yeah, you know, I it, even, it's I it's even still think, incredibly impressive. I think the Washington game might have happened last year. That was yeah. Oregon State was twenty thirteen. Washington was twenty fourteen, and. That Washington Eastern Washington game was just like, I remember getting the scoring updates and it was just a complete shootout. It was like touchdowns all around, nonstop. Yeah, and so like even you, I mean Washington, like as much as I like making fun of Washington, their defense was decent last year. Right. Decent to good. They had a lot of really good players, hence their. Uh, draft, their results in the NFL draft, but we make fun of that as being like they have three first round picks on defense, and they still gave up like forty plus to Oregon, and they gave up way more to Eastern Washington. Like this right. guy is still putting up numbers with inferior teammates, and he's just like wrecking these teams. Like, if it was, like, a couple touchdowns or whatever, then it would be, like, slightly different. But he's straight wrecking these players. Yeah. So it's, it's basically what you should expect from a superstar quarterback against this level, against these teams. So, I mean, uh, okay, I'm not going to make that comparison. I was going to say, when did Marcus Mariota ever throw for seven touchdowns? But that's a ridiculous <laughs> comparison to make. Um <laughs> So, I mean, to say, it's very hard, though, to see, like, an FCS to FBS. I don't think there's ever been, like, an example where someone went from the FCS to the FBS and became, like, a stud in that area. Like, Russell Wilson's the most popular, and he went from North Carolina State to Wisconsin. Right. He went from, you know, good program to good program. Um, Yeah. This is, I mean... And this isn't just, you know, FCS to, he's not going to to Colorado or mm-hmm. you know, some a program that just is kind of irrelevant every year. It's, he's going from FCS to the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's going to be thrown into a mix where, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, he's in a national championship chase. And it's just... I'll be interested to see how he handles the pressure because all eyes are going to be on him all year long. And if he cracks for one second, and he knows this too, you know, Jeff Lockie's going to be on the be on the bench, ready to go at any given second, mm-hmm. ready to take that job away from him. And it's you know, you get in these hypothetical situations. Let's just say. You know, let's say, let's pick the Utah game. Let's say Vernon Adams has a terrible first half and, you know, Ducks are down by two, three touchdowns. Against Eastern Washington? Against, well, I'm picking Utah here just for oh, a okay, okay, okay. good Pac-12 test. You know? I missed that. Um, let's say, you know, Helfridge pulls a dramatic move, benches him at halftime, puts in Lockie, and Lockie leads this heroic comeback. Well, then you've sparked a whole new debate, you know? So it's like, just because we, yeah, we'll have a quote unquote competition in the fall. Mm-hmm. It's still always going to be, he's always going to have to keep that job for the rest of the year or two. And mm-hmm. just because I think there are such high expectations around him, but I think, and this will kind of, we can transition to the next group here. What will take the, some of the pressure off of him is, Oregon's ridiculous backfield. Mm-hmm. Royce Freeman is going to be a machine this year again. I can feel it. Yeah, I, I saw him in the spring game, and he looked quicker. He looked faster for being a five five nine two hundred and thirty pounder. Right. Last year, I remember. I think my my weekly tweet would be. Roy- Royce Freeman is a goddamn hummer, and that's basically what he was. He would just, he was, he would just power through you, and you'd be left on the ground wondering where it all went wrong, mm-hmm. and probably had 
horrible nightmares of being trucked over by him. I'm I'm assuming that's your standard Royce Freeman experience. Um, for everybody. For every, Even every if you see him in math class, if you see him like on the quad, if you're in line with him at Qdoba on 13th. That's uh, how I like my Royce Freeman, just running over everybody. Yeah, that's pretty much um, how it goes. But yeah, if he's quicker... Ooh, that's going to be dangerous. Yeah, and even Thomas Tyner. Uh, like, Thomas Tyner was the lead guy last year, and then Royce Freeman took over when Thomas Tyner was injured. Right. And he never lost his position. And then Thomas Tyner got better and better as the season went on. Like, we saw him... Uh, Tyner came back and played, like, in the UCLA game for the first right. time, and he killed it. He, uh, like, there was the spin move against Stanford. Like, he was always constantly dancing and, like, had the hopes of uh, of uh, using his speed to make, like, a huge play. What I like to call the Reggie Bush effect. Because players who are super, super fast always try to make that Reggie Bush move. Yep. Um, which is a lot of what DeAnthony Thomas did. And Lake Seastrunk. Uh, especially Lake Seastrunk. Um before he actually went to Baylor and started doing like one cut and turn ups and then he was in the Heisman race. Um so like Thomas Tyner, like I guess maybe that he was challenged, he finally saw like, okay, I need to like do this and then he started killing it. Like in Stanford he killed it. Like competition is healthy for everyone on a team. Yeah. And it he, really, you know, it, it makes it so you don't get complacent, you don't slack off and mm-hmm. you know that there's always a guy behind you ready and willing to take your job away from you. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, think of this too. Tyner started in the OSU game, in, in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. And he was the leading rusher and had, like, the most yards per carry. And, like, the two, Tyner and Freeman are very similar. Like, Tyner is faster but a little smaller mm-hmm. at a lean 210 pounds. Freeman is bigger, but gives up a little bit of the top end speed. And there's just similar enough to where, like, there's not a drop off in talent, but they're still kind of the same running back. And the only difference is basically how they accomplish the same things. Exactly. So I think, yeah, I, th- I think having, uh, you know, a proven duo in the backfield like the Ducks do with Freeman and Tyner. That's going to be a really that's going to be one of their strong areas this year because if you know, it, if you ever need to transition more to the run, if the pass game isn't working, you have guys back there that are more than capable of leading your team to a victory, and you know busting out a hundred plus yards and a couple touchdowns on the on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd also like to point out that uh, in the spring game, Benoit looked really good. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's lost like 20 to 30 pounds. Um, even though he was like the human victory cigar last year and he bumped, he jumped out like <laughs> 60, a 60 yard play against Florida state, which was, which was really the icing on the cake. just another hilarious thing that happened in the second half. Yeah. Um, but behind Tyner and Freeman, is going to be Taj Griffin, who was like the number one running back uh, two years ago, and he redshirted um, to rehab like his knee, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then you have the guy who people are already comparing to LaMichael James. Like that's an absurd amount of depth for someone to like be like for the defensive coordinator and the running backs coach to both say he's like little LaMike. Yeah. Because, I mean, every once in a while, you'll have, like, you'll have coach, like, talking people up and everything. And you can really always tell when that's happening. Like, when they say uh, just some random receiver is getting really good at running routes, it means they don't really have anything good to say about him. Exactly, yeah. Um, But, and it's like, no, you don't, you wouldn't see the coaches be like, oh, yeah, this guy looks a lot like Marcus Mariota. Because that's, like, a ridiculous comparison. Nothing to back it up with. Right. And if they if they're just doing coach speak, I will never trust anything these people say again. 
Right. Because you do not mess around comparing someone to Michael James. Because you're, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the running back equivalent of comparing someone to Marcus Mariota. I mean, you could, you could make the case that James is the greatest running back in Oregon history, so. Yeah. Probably is. Um, Probably. Only Heisman finalist is a running back, so. Yeah. Uh, and then on the offensive line, how many guys are back on the offensive line? Um, they have John Stone back. Mm-hmm. They have the Notre Dame transfer Matt Hagarty. Hagarty, he's amazing. He was if if I'm I had so to pick so, between, I'm so pumped about that. If I had to pick between Golson, like the best version of Golson and the center, I would take the center. Give me, give me the center any day of the week because yeah. we will be completely fine with. I, I truly believe that we will be fine with either Adams or Lockie, whoever turns out to be the best fit for us. Mm-hmm. So give me that protection and experience up front on that line when you're trying to replace Hiranas Grasu. And that's I, I think landing I think landing Hegarty was the biggest move the Ducks pulled this offseason. I would I would say bigger than Vernon Adams. Um, oh yeah, just because oh, you could, you, know, you could say okay, all we have is Jeff Lockie, and like okay, that's he he's done well in games he's been in. We'll be fine, you know. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of other weapons too. We'll be fine. But the second you start having to replace key guys and leaders on that offensive line is, I mean, it's so true that they are the most underrated and undervalued people in football because. So much of a team's success is dependent on that offensive line where it all starts up front. And if you don't have guys with either experience or who can just simply protect the quarterback, you're going to struggle all year. I mean, your quarterback can't throw touchdown passes when he's getting sacked five, six, seven times a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and after watching the spring game, that was like the one position... Where I was like, oh, oh, this is uh, this is this not could, good. This <laughs> I am... could get a little dicey. Yeah, especially when you snap it over the head of the quarterback. Not a great look. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Is that's the one position? Like in my write up, I was trying to be as nice as possible, saying that this could be a tire fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and, the, and then and the problem solves itself. Fire. Yeah, and the problem solves itself. Don't you love how that works out when you're top to your program? It's fantastic when people things, want to come to your team. Things just work out for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure they had to do some work. I'm sure he didn't just call them up and be like, hey, sup, guys? Heard you need a center. I kind but of, I, li- I like to think that's how it happened. Based what he said, he said he asked to get out of his scholarship. They said okay. And then it sounds like he called a couple people. He called his people who called some people who knew well, some I don't, he. I don't think he officially has people, but <laughs> I think he he must have had contact with Oregon at some point in the past or whatever. Right. Um, but I read an article uh, that where he gave a few interviews and he said that like Oregon has produced a like he really wants to go pro. That's his thing, and he was going to get moved out of center. And, like, lose reps because Notre Dame was apparently really committed to, like, giving their young guys more reps on the offensive line. And uh, and he was like, that's not going to help my draft stock, so I want to I switch. And then he looked at Oregon and saw, like, our last three centers have all gone to the NFL and done well. Yeah. And so he was like, okay, this is like a center pipeline, basically. I've got, I've got a fantastic story that, that some of you guys might have heard by now, but it was um, pulled it up from... Uh, from the Oregonian about how when um, Hegarty was a a prep when he was being recruited out of high school he was living in a 6,000 person town in New Mexico middle of nowhere and he came out to he came out to Oregon Um, they invited him to a summer camp and he says what are those guys with the diamond steel plates on their uniform shoulders? We all we all remember those jerseys. <laughs> really, it was that and, long ago. 
And he says, two bags were packed for the four-day trip, one with personal items and clothing and the other football gear. His bag of personal clothes was lost en route and he was late to camp without time to change. So he ran onto the field wearing street clothes and they were doing 40-yard dashes. And guess who was doing the, the timing but none other than our favorite Chip Kelly. He says, I ran through and he started laughing. Chip said, how about you go ahead and take the change out of your pocket and try it again? So that was, that was his introduction to Oregon, running 40-yard dashes with laundry money jingling in his pockets and Chip Kelly just laughing all the way. That's the most football center New Mexico thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> like it would have been funnier if he was wearing like cowboy boots while doing it. I'm sure he was probably wearing those like, you know, 10 pound Jordans. <laughs> uh, like it sounds like something out of like almost Waterboy or something. <laughs> right. Where like or Forrest Gump, like he just shows up wearing like regular clothes, like not really realizing how fast he is and he just blows up the 40. Right. And someone's like, "My boy, my my lord, that boy can run." And something like that and then it just cuts to him like tearing through people all fall or whatever oh that's great um so you made a point earlier that like our quarter like our quarterback is like not as important well if the line isn't working our quarterback is kind of like doesn't matter really right i can't imagine given the talent especially at receiver that the quarterback can be anything less than good like, the people around him won't let him be less than good. The hype around Oregon receivers this going into this year, people are saying it's they're, it's going to be Oregon's greatest receiving core in program history. Oh, I believe it. Which is not a ridiculous statement at all. It's, and I think it's very easy to do. It's, it's incredibly easy to do. You, you look through the depth chart and who they're going to have at receiver, and you just get wide-eyed and... It's like not even fair, almost. Um, and it, it'll just make who, whether it be Lockie or Adams, and that's that's the reason that I think that we'll be fine, no matter who starts, because their targets are. It's just it's not going to be fair for other teams, and it's going to make the quarterback's job so much easier when he has that level of talent and that kind of depth mm. that he can just turn to anyone and they can make a big play. Yeah, and, like, this is such an... Like, I'm looking at a, at a Phil Steele's depth chart. Mm-hmm. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen as a Ducks fan. Um, Byron Marshall is the returning leading receiver. Once running back turned leading receiver. He was one of the best receivers last year. He's cut so well. Secondly, Braylon Addison is back. And he looked amazing in the spring game. Mm-hmm. Like, apparently he was ready to go, like, last November, and he was practicing last November. Right, and then they were just kind of holding him back. Yeah, so he might have already had his whole, like, oh, I'm nervous about, like, cutting and everything phase. Mm-hmm. And he's just ready to come back now. Um, and then, uh, like, who, who else is here? Dwayne Stanford, 6'5". Darren Carrington, assuming that he isn't suspended for the first half of the season, uh, is 6-2. Um, behind Braylon Addison is Devin Allen. And we all know Devin Allen is, like, track fast. And not like track fast. He is track fast. He is track fast. Um, and then even then, there are, like, two freshman wide receivers. There's, like, one who redshirted and one who is... Like who came in early, and they're already getting like, like some some of the coaches are saying they're going to be four year starters. Who are these people? I know one is named like Alex Odefile Ophodile. Yeah, that's nuts. That's so crazy. And then Jalen Brown is the other one. Jalen Brown is the other receiver. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year through the air. Yeah. It's just, you know, it, it, there's so much just depth and balance on this offense that it's kind of like one of those situations where 
all the pieces are there. Now it just needs to click. Yeah, and I think that's all going to go back to the O-line. Exactly, which is why landing Hegarty was so important. Mm -hmm. Because you now have that kind of base and foundation in the middle, and and you've got some guys returning, and it's... I'm very, very optimistic. Yeah, and then, I mean, Tyler Johnstone is back at, like... I think he, I think I read he was going to be right tackle, mm-hmm. and then Tyrell Crosby, who came in as a freshman and did really well, uh, is going to be left tackle. Uh, who who's back? Cameron Hunt's back at guard, and then uh, Haggerty is that how you say his name? Haggerty's at center. Like, that's a pretty good line talent wise. It's just like if they can mesh and everything, they have exactly. one they have one week to figure it out, and then they have Michigan State. So here's here's my point. Here's my debate. We're recording this on Sunday. My article is going up Wednesday. I think that Charles Nelson should play defense. It's a fair statement. Thoughts. Hot takes. Charles Nelson on defense. I like it. Um, Oregon's offense is going to be fine. I think the bigger question marks are going to be on you know kind of filling those holes in defense mm-hmm. with you know the guys they lost like you know obviously like losing Efo and and you know I'm kind of I've always been in the mindset that you can have a great offense but it's really a solid defense that's going to win you championships and or yeah Oregon's offense fine no problem mm-hmm. can run itself and so I think if you take a talented athlete like Charles Nelson and who was just insane on, on special teams last year, mm-hmm. he was like, you know, of course, wearing number six, he was like D'Anthony Thomas 2.0. I was saying in the comments to everyone's, uh, everyone's chagrin, that Charles Nelson is better than D'Anthony Thomas was as a freshman. Hot takes. <laughs> That's a hottest, hot take. That's the hottest. That's a hot take. <laughs> 20, Charles Nelson, 2015, Paul Hornung Award watch list, nation's most versatile player. Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, you get a guy who can play both sides of the ball and fill in where needed, and that's where players are needed this year is kind of filling in those gaps on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that can be, a, he can be a very valuable addition to that side of the ball. Right, and so my whole point in the like this article that's going up Wednesday is about marginal benefits, right? Right. So, so the wide receivers and like the wide receivers are stacked. Like Byron Marshall is kind of a better version of Charles Nelson, right? Like all around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Tony Brooks James, who's like the little of Michael James, like with Royce Freeman, Thomas Tyner, Taj Griffin, and then uh. Brooks James, he doesn't like. He will not have a huge. He's like he's going to be the third running back. He doesn't need to be back there. He can make a bigger impact somewhere else. And it's like right. when, when Byron Marshall used to be in the backfield, and they figured out that you put him out to the slot, and he can make a, a bigger impact. And it's like all of a sudden now you have a new leading receiver that you just plucked out of your backfield. You know, they can do the same thing with Nelson. They can they can take this you know, super athletic guy out of the backfield where it's so crowded already and plop them into an area where they need desperate help. And it's like, you know, it's like you're, you're recruiting from within the program and you're just like plucking guys from these spots and then like, okay, you can play over there. You can play over there. You know, you're just filling in these missing pieces and, and that's what, you know, that's what the, where the Ducks have such an advantage is that they can just pluck guys from other places and say, you're so versatile that you can just, we'll put you in the defense and, you know, hopefully he'll thrive. Right, yeah. And we saw him in the spring game. He had an interception that wasn't easy. Uh, and last year he was amazing on special teams. And it wasn't really even, like, just that he made plays. It was that he was so overwhelmingly physical like even when he ran the football like he was fast and everything 
but his physicality is what stood out the most. Um, and him, like, especially in slot receivers, maybe being like a, uh, like, uh, uh, like a safety or defensive back who actually is in for like run support and everything. I think that's where he would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he's he's not he's just not as valuable on the offensive end as he is on the defensive end. Right. Exactly. And the and here's like here's the real benefit of having a lot of depth, right? This is what like the top teams are able to do. They're so stacked at certain positions that they can put really awesome players where they need to fill holes, right? So I know it's really kind of weird for us Oregon fans to have a situation where we have like too much depth at a couple positions, but this is kind of what the SEC does. SEC pow on defense all the time. Like they'll put their best players on defense. And then where they need to fill on on offense, they'll put, like, the leftovers, right? Right. Of people who are, like, maybe exceptional safeties or defensive backs, but they just aren't needed. So they make the switch to receiver. Um, and Oregon is obviously going to go from offense to defense. Like, this is the whole, like, this is the largest benefit of depth is that we can put Nelson on defense and it doesn't hurt the offense at all. And it makes our defense much better. So like, uh, like the C, like the cornerbacks who I think are going to start are Springs and Cisse, because they came in. Uh, I think it was Cisse who came in and filled in opposite Cisse Troy Hill. Came, Cisse came in, I think, for the he filled in during the playoff. Like he came in for the Rose Bowl and right and kind of you know that whole next man up thing. Yeah. yeah. And he made some plays in the Florida State game. I remember him, like, making a few big tackles, like, when he was down on our end. Mm-hmm. And he held his own against Ohio State. Maybe didn't maybe didn't play great. Maybe didn't make plays. But he wasn't someone that got picked on a lot. But not, you know, not a bad transition for a guy who got thrown into two of the biggest games in program history just bam like that Mm -hmm. and both of these guys are like six foot 200 pounds right these are like bigger guys these are like the new in vogue type players right now after richard sherman took over right like these big physical defensive backs yeah just really long like kind of how oregon always wanted really long and tall defensive linemen which is how you end up with our line being like six seven six four six seven our linebackers are like six five, a couple six one. Uh, like it's just, right, like the, our our yeah. guys on the line would be like linebackers and other teams. Right, yeah, they they ha- they're like pretty big. Like even though Buckner's two ninety, Balducci's mm-hmm. three ten, Canton uh, is two ninety five, and then our linebackers are all for like the first time ever, like all two thirty five or above. Um, so there's just. We're getting, like, as a defense, they're getting closer and closer to, like, an idealized, like, a perfectly balanced, like, stereotypical linebacker or defensive end. Like, you don't necessarily need to pick parts that are like, oh, we're going to have, like, a really fast group, and then we're going to have to rely on speed because they all weigh, like, 215 pounds. Stuff like that. Like, we, we right. have to have jitterbug defensive backs because they're all, like, 5'9". And we're getting much more to pick out, like, these better players to figure like better physical wise players and who then like adapt their skills and everything um so like the biggest like the biggest question is clear on defense especially i think on in the linebacker group but i feel pretty confident in spring cisse reggie daniels is back at safety and then tyree robinson who played a fair amount last year mm-hmm um, being the other safety. And if you throw Charles Nelson into that group, that's a without Nelson, that's a decent group that has like a lot of question marks. And with Charles Nelson in, that adds like a certain amount of depth. It's pretty solid. And it becomes it covers up, like it removes a lot of questions. There are still some, but it it so greatly improves that unit. Yeah, exactly. Um so 
we lose. Who was the defensive end we lost? Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead, yeah. And Tony Washington. Um, filling in. Well, uh, well, Balducci's back. Last seen getting run over by Carl Dale Jones. Uh, <laughs> once Carl Dale Jones ran over like three hundred and ten pound Balducci, I was like, okay, this is over. Yep, this is over. It was fourth and two, and Balducci's running at Cardale Jones, like dead to rights, and Cardale Jones runs over him. Are you kidding me? Like, at that point, if if you're the third-string quarterback and you're running over defensive tackles, that's that's why you're the national champion. That's just how national championship teams work. Um, So, uh, and then Canton, I'm not even going to try saying his last name. (laughs) He is apparently... As strong as DeForest Buckner is already. Oh my. Like, the strength and conditioning staff is just, like, raving about this guy. It's unbelievable. And then, so, like, the big questions, though, are linebacker. Mm -hmm. Joe Walker, Tyson Coleman, Rodney Hardrick are all back. Christian French is stepping in from, like, a second tier. Like, defensive guys get a lot of reps at Oregon. So Christian French is now the man at one of the outside linebacker positions. Um, so I think there's... I think that this is a very talented group. Like Joe Walker, great run stopper. Like started out as like a utility guy at the beginning of the year. By the end of the year, he was like one of the cornerstones of the defense. Which was... He was just one of the biggest pleasant surprises of last year. And I'm I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. Right, yeah, and so one of the big things I saw for like him being like the complete linebacker was like improving his pass coverage because like he's such a great run stopper, and if he just adds like this one trait, then he's like a fantastic linebacker. Right. Tyson Coleman's been a stud there for like ever. Trotty Prevost backing him up, um, and I'm looking at a depth chart now. Danny Mattingly's back. He made an interception in the national championship game. Um, but there isn't a ton of depth at defensive line and linebacker that mm-hmm. we've that we've at least seen this far. Uh, so that's I'm really hoping that the defense gets switched up so <clears throat> that. The defense, all of the defensive linemen aren't playing two gaps, right? Exactly. Because like it kind, of, it sounds like sexy at first. We're like, oh, our our guys play both sides, like play both gaps, which lets the linebackers just like run around and make plays. It actually makes it a very passive defense mm-hmm. because your defensive linemen are having to read and react, and they can't just like shoot up gaps and take command. They have to like engage. And then figure out where the play is going, and then shuck one of them. So like small, smart football did a really good post on how like the uh, New England Patriots <clears throat> have been able to do that, like have some two gap, but also keep like the aggressiveness you get with the one gap. And a lot of it's when you have Vince Wilfork, you can fix a lot of those problems because um, he's like a four three hundred fifty pound defensive tackle who can catch running backs from behind. Just the sheer size of, of he's him. amazing yeah him on the texans with Clowney and watt is going to be terrifying this year um but so one of the big things that they did was uh and this is something that the seahawks have done and carol pete carroll's done like at usc was you identify like the strong this is done mostly out of a four three for them mm-hmm. you identify which is the strong side the linebacker rotates over to that side and the defensive line shifts a little bit over so you still get like a five-man front. And the defensive end, who's on the weak side, plays two-gap. And that allows you to cover up all the holes with everybody else going one-gap. So I don't think many people listening to this might understand that. Does that make sense, though? Oh, even to me, it's it's gibberish. Okay. But <laughs> okay. Okay. I will take your words and I will watch it play out on my screen this Okay, year. yeah. So basically the person who is least likely to be impacted by the play or who's on the backside, who probably wouldn't have much of an impact if he plays super hard, is basically just kind of waiting on that back end. There we go. Okay, cool. Um, 
awesome. It's been put into simple terms. We're yeah. good now. So, question for you. Do you think DeForest Buckner will be a big enough like pass rush to kind of take over a couple games? Like, do you think he'll warrant like enough attention that he'll get doubled continuously and all the other guys, fingers crossed, they go one gap, are able to make plays in the backfield? Because we did not have a strong pass rush last year. Granted, we rushed three guys, like seemingly every play. Right. Uh, I I think he's going to make the biggest impact up front. I mean, there were, you know, leading up to the the NFL draft, there was even, you know, I heard news that one scout said that he was a better player than Eric Armstead, which, you know, is a big statement. I agree. Um, but, you know, he's got that kind of blend that's hard to find of both size and being just an athletic freak of nature mm-hmm. and you know I, that obviously fits in well very well with what Oregon does and what Oregon wants um, so I think that he's going to be the biggest piece to the puzzle on defense as far as making an impact goes mm-hmm. yeah I'm mean, especially with the rise of J.J. Watt and, like, a few other players. Like, Dwight Freeney was also a guy who caught a lot of stuff for that. Mm-hmm. There was Jervon Jer- Curse, like, in the early 2000s. Yeah. And that's when you first saw guys who could just, like, the same way that quarterbacks were pretty much have an impact on every single play for offenses, the defensive end or, like, rush linebacker is now that guy on defense. Right. Where if he draws, like, he will draw, like, the defense, the offensive line always has to account for him. He has to require at least, like, two blockers and, like, all this preparation, and it just makes everybody else's job so much easier. Exactly. It just, it, it's like, you know, it's like the same deal on the other side of the ball in the offense. It just, it takes the pressure off. Mm-hmm. It's, I really, well... I'm really hoping uh, that Buckner just, like, takes over. Especially if him and Coleman are on, like, the same side. Yeah, exactly. That'd be crazy. Because DeForest Buckner led the team. uh, Actually, no, he didn't. Uh, Christian French had six and a half sacks last year. Tyson Coleman had three. And DeForest Buckner had four. That's actually a lot more sacks than I think we actually had last year. Yeah. I was I was just looking at this chart and that seemed really high. Um so I also noticed like later in the season two, I was doing a lot of charting at the first half and I just couldn't keep making like an eight hour commitment to chart the games every week and I was trying to get a hold of the stats from uh from uh the legendary Bill C at Football Study Hall. Uh to see if I could get some numbers, but basically mm-hmm. some of the earlier and like things I saw as the season went on was the best times on defense Oregon had was rushing five guys. Five was the magic number. Four yeah. was like second best, and then it was three. So if people are like, when people say like we have to like blitz a lot more or whatever, we have to like go all out. That was when Oregon just got blown out on defense. Mm-hmm. Like, keeping guys back was not nearly good enough. Like, or just, like, keeping a couple guys back but blitzing a ton had the worst results on defense by right, far. Exactly. If we blitzed, if we blitzed six or more, it was it was pretty bad. If we blitzed three, that's where you see situations where, like, guys are just crossing the field and the quarterback has a lot of time to find one because it's just yeah. too long for the defensive backs to have to cover. Exactly. Um, but four was four was at the end of the year like run most often but five even though it was a small sample size um was the most effective by far so is there anything we missed out of this group i think we i don't think so i think in our next podcast we'll kind of put the pieces together and dive in a little bit to oregon's schedule and see how it all play out or how we think it might play out yeah yeah yeah, so because we're going to be writing a ton like as the football fall camp goes on about 
like the developments and everything. But mm-hmm. I think this is a good primer on Oregon football going into the fall camp. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, Eastern Washington, then Michigan State, that's the big game, hosting Georgia State, hosting Utah, which is going to be dangerous. Um, and then that stretch of at Arizona State, hosting Cal, at Stanford, hosting USC. Man, that month of November is going to be tough. That's one month. It's always that stretch of November. <laughs> that month. If we had Cal, if we had like Stanford in like October and like USC early November, we need great. To, we need to pull an SEC and bring Georgia State out to Austin in November. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, they get a week off, damn it, so do we. <laughs> yeah. Why do those games even happen or just beyond me? All right. Uh, closing comments? Closing comments is that football season is almost here. Sort of, it's like the, the you know, the 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 tease before football season's really here. But uh-huh. July is kind of that month where just nothing's happening at all. Yeah, and you can see that from, you know, tomorrow, Monday's quack fix is uh, is another story about how Vernon Adams is going to be late to camp. Shocker of the century, you know. So we're <laughs> we're at that point, and we see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, he's an athlete, not a mathlete. He didn't. He he came here to play football. Right? <laughs> he didn't come here to play school. I mean, in all honesty, though, he did not come here to go to school. No, he's, <laughs> he is. He's graduated. He, I mean, most of the time, I'm like, yeah, people need to come get an education. It's like, yeah, we're pretty clear about what this guy is here for. He's here for football. <laughs> yeah, we can't play school. Um, all right. Well, I'm pretty pumped. I'm glad we're back on this podcast train making the regular trips to Amsterdam. It's a good trip, man. It's a good trip. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm Rusty. That's Sean. Hopefully we'll get back to doing this on a weekly basis. Uh, see you guys next week.